I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Well, welcome to Face to Face, and we are uh, joined by a special guest today, Scott Pressey, who is a sales management consultant, and uh, I've got some interesting questions for him, I think, today about relationships and about leadership. Scott, thanks for joining us today. Good. Yeah. So, so uh, we've just been talking about Scott and his, uh, his uh, ability to fall asleep during movies. <laughs> In the movie theater, so he's clearly not a film buff, but he, but I think he's going to have some insight into um, what he calls growth strategy, growth implementing growth strategies for, I guess, a variety of companies. Yes, anything from large Fortune 100 companies all the way down to small, medium-sized businesses, um, but all in the um, in the area of sales and marketing. That's the growth part of it. How do they grow their business? And often at the heart of that is leaders with a big idea. Leaders and with a big idea. 
So you've been working, so DSG Consulting is the company, for those of you out there that are interested, you've been with them 16 years, but you're a Canadian consultant, you work out of your own office, virtual kind of. That's right. And you move around. That's right. Most of our clients are European or US based, uh, but they have international sales offices. And so a lot of my work then is done with uh, regional managers across APAC, uh, Latin America, EMEA. So do you work with startups? Do you work with people, entrepreneurs, people just getting out of the gate? or Not at the small point. Yeah. No, yeah. no, we're, we're really, um, and my interest is uh, in helping leaders move large organizations. And so uh, this aspect of consulting really came to me over 20 years ago when I began to realize that... Um, Helping high performers get better was at the heart of my passion. And uh, that uh, I had a, uh, a bit of a vision that was of a large ocean liner and a captain on the ocean liner. And it was having to navigate through some circuitous routes. And so I instantly recognized that that was very much like leaders in large organizations. They're having to nimbly move an organization to adapt to change. They're having to get a large number of people aligned around a, a vision of what that new port would look like. And so um, I work with DSG and, and we've been uh, in business over 20 years, over 200 clients, over 500 uh, individual projects. Um, but my own personal company and really my personal mission, I call Newport. Oh, okay. Because it's built around that vision of that captain of a large ocean liner trying to move its way to a new port. I just, I, I was just, uh, I do a newsletter every couple of weeks for those of you who don't know called Splash and Ripple. You might want to check it out on newsana.com. Um, but I was just reading an article this morning about how most companies um, want to renovate not innovate, which I thought was kind of fun, kind of an interesting title. And the idea is that you you get caught in basically, I guess, doing things the way they've always been done. Right. Uh, you're a little uh, risk adverse, don't want to take that step. And so I guess it's talking to somebody who's, I guess, is a good leader who is being challenged in a particular way, maybe had a few mistakes, maybe made some bad choices, didn't succeed in these sort of new entrepreneurial initiatives. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go back to what works. Right. Is that pretty, is that pretty common, would you say? Well, the pull of the status quo is huge. And uh, there was a book written about 10, 15 years ago called uh, something Navigating the Hairball. That was a, uh, a vivid uh, metaphor. And the hairball being the uh, values, the practices, the policies, the processes that have been present uh, over time and have accumulated. The administration, the bureaucracy, potentially in a That's huge right. company. The, the way we do stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I find uh, very innovative leading companies today that we're engaging, some that are historic and, uh, uh, you know, 100 years old, uh, some that are uh, but 25 years old, uh, that uh, leaders have big ideas. They know how they want to grow. Uh, they often don't know how to implement that growth. And that really is my role as a consultant, is that people, whether it be uh, managers and or sales and marketing personnel operations, 
they need to know where they need to go. So there's a strategy element that I help my clients with. Uh, they typically are having to learn how to sell differently and essentially... Sell, it, sell their, uh, Scott, sell their product or would you say also sell their board internal? Is it a bit of both? Is it kind of internal, external? Uh, well, leaders are, are having to drive change, yes. Right. And so there, there's a combination of those things. Uh, but typically, it, it's one of the organization as a whole. Right. That they're having to get on board to drive that level of change. So they, they, the people in the field, uh, in the office, below the, the board and the executive team that says, we're going to grow this way, this much, by this time. They're really great at making pronouncements of what kind of growth they want, how to do that, and how to implement that in the field usually requires strategy, uh, usually requires new processes, uh, 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 new messaging because they're often having to sell differently to different buyers and to differentiate their products and services. And at the heart of all of that then is leaders and how leaders are at the front of driving that change forward. So there's a, a, a cascading effect of enabling leaders to understand what the change is and the business mandate. And often the business mandate isn't all that clear and so in in the face of that why do we really have to change how do you want us to change are two questions i help uh, through a variety of workshops and communication pieces and then ultimately in training to get people to understand the business imperative around that change to understand why that change is uh, uh, is important for them to implement with their teams and, and then how to do that. What are the actual change priorities from a skill standpoint? I guess, I guess as a, a, a possible a corporate leader or a nonprofit leader or whatever it is, whatever kind of change you're moving that cruise ship in, that ship, you know, that new port that you're heading towards, it's, it looks pretty big. Like, uh, why bother, right? It's, you know, so you got your visionary who wants to do this and then looks to the left and says, okay, here's the to-do list. Here's the whiteboard. How are we ever going to get there? Mm-hmm. This is a five-year plan. This is 10 years. And, you know, my work in the nonprofit sector, you know, people, it seems, want change pretty quickly, mm-hmm. right? Let's, let's see where this is actually. Show me that this is going to work, and then, yeah. maybe I'll, and then maybe I'll follow. Yeah. Everybody, you know, listens to the radio station called, uh, you know, WIIFM, What's In It For Me. <laughs> so they're, they're translating these things in terms of... Uh, of uh, how does this change impact me? And, and for a period of time, I remember uh, I was working with nonprofits and uh, had a group of, of more senior level people. And this is probably now 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I had them in a room and we were trying to vision and prioritize and create a sense of a roadmap for driving change forward. And I was using some technology, uh, uh, keypads essentially, that allowed them to discuss what they were going through mm-hmm. and what their decisions were and then ultimately to vote on them and to oh, prioritize wow. them yeah. in a way that was anonymous. Interesting. And so... Um, do, you still, do you still use that? Uh, I, haven't, I haven't used it it's now. I, I use various other methods, but I've, I've just found that um, 
you know, in, in the dynamic world that we have today, uh, you know, people are more than ready to right. give forward their answers right. and, and right. there's less corporate pressure to vote like the boss votes. Right. But as I yeah. handed out these pads, uh, this individual said to me, you know, uh, he said, what is that? And I said, well, it's tied to my computer and it allows you to, you know, communicate your thoughts and feelings. Computers, yeah, that's why I lost my job. <laughs> and, and you know, so that's a twenty-year sure. retrospective sure. of yeah. of how somebody is translating change because it impacts yeah. them very personally, sure. and even the medium then becomes a a barrier for adoption. Right. But uh, in, in every case, uh, what we find is that leaders, I say, leaders have really three roles. Uh, one is thought leadership. Uh, the other is process leadership. And the third is change leadership. So thought leadership is usually the easy part. Uh, whether it's truly innovative or not, uh, nevertheless, most leaders, by the nature of taking on the various roles that they have, know what they want and tell other people what to do. Okay, that's the easy part. Uh, process leadership is a little bit harder and is, is the way in which leaders establish a culture or how things are going to be done differently. Right. So they put in, in process and policy and essentially create um, structures for doing things a certain way. And, and that often means telling people to do, establishing disciplines and practices that are different than what they're doing before. Uh, that's a hard one, and I, I teach to the best practices around leadership. In that could be drive a, that's that. a rock up a hill in some cases, I would think. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be? I mean, I, I, I know with the larger nonprofits, you know, you talk about, oh, hey, you know what? You guys need to do this, or what about a campaign? Or what? And you talk to the leaders. You talk to the presidents of some of these organizations, and we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, and they'll say, listen, it's taken two years to get one of my ideas rolling here. Right. Never, never mind yours. Yes. Right? And they're not necessarily being negative. They're just saying, hey, this is the ethos. This is the culture. This is what I'm fighting against personally. They might be on board, but they got all these other people to line up. Right. And, and so thought leadership typically causes them to be making announcements and pronouncements and, and give guidance, but not essentially create disciplines and practices uh -huh. that are going to... Um, incrementally allow people to understand the new normal and to develop the skills and motivations. It's good. In, Understanding it, the new normal is good. Uh, in which to, um, to execute that. And then the, the third element is around change leadership. And change leadership is, is the hardest thing to teach because it is... Um, it is very interpersonal and intrapersonal. And so it's part of understanding how is your team adapting? What have been some of the cultural norms? Um, how do we help people adjust to feeling like their job has changed or they're at risk or that this is not the way they've been successful in the past? And so helping them do that. So the whole aspect of of the engagement with people around their motivation and their focus and their priorities in a way that is interpersonal as well as um, process-oriented. Uh, it sounds like there's, um, there's a connection to mentorship there of some kind, it seems to me, coming, or at least coming alongside others. And so, uh, you know, I remember somebody once saying to me, a good leader is just somebody who's, they're, they're, they're good people. 
you know, they're friendly, they're easy to get along with, they, they, sh they share, they include, you know, they embrace. So I, I, see the, I see the CEO, I see the president wandering around shaking hands, hey, how's it going today, you know, this kind of thing. Is that kind of uh, approach going on in the larger corporations enough? Is that, you know, we talk about it being all about relationships. But is there, uh, is there a, um, a leaning towards mentoring? You know, uh, would you say, or is it more a little more process, a little more admin-like in that sense? Good leaders build teams, and so whether it is an executive with their board, uh, and the board is obviously brought in to create checks and balances uh, with a leader, so that it's not. Uh, a theocracy right. of one. Right. right. It's it, it's a it's a it's a not a democracy, but at least it's a um, benevolent form of of leadership that a board is working with. So leaders have to understand how to uh, uh, draw on the checks and balances of their board um, so that uh, there is teaming, and that is a critical issue. Uh, it, it's a real challenge. The best leaders work with their boards in ways that uh, both keep them honest and accountable, but also um, uh, enable them to work with it. And then similarly um, with their executive staff. So those leaders are the extension of that strategy. And so the way in which they engage them both personally and professionally and ensure that there is alignment, that it's not just compliance. So uh, change leadership is getting to the focus of the motivation and capacity of the individual, not just the compliance and the rigor of a discipline against a set of expectations. So, you know, Jack Welsh said that uh, the job of every leader is uh, forming strategy, um, improving operations, and thirdly, uh, recruiting and building a great team. Hmm. And so I, I find that to be absolutely true that the most effective leaders create alignment around what and why so that their extended teams are in a position then to equally represent that change, model it, coach it, practice it, and to the degree that is... Um, important mentoring. Um, I was working with a software company that um, sells to airlines, airports, and governments. And so if you've lost your luggage, their software has probably given you announcements as to where it is and right. where to come pick it up. And so I was working with a Middle Eastern team. And so the dynamics of a Middle Eastern environment uh, is, is much more tribal uh, not to be, uh, you know, kind of inappropriately describing that, but I, I mean, literally from the voice of, uh, of this leader, he said, you know, this is my team. And there was a, a real sense of yeah, yeah, sure. blood brotherhood around how we're, how we're um, working across our region. And um, he said, uh, one of the things that he said that was critical was 
he is always preparing the person to take his job. He finds one. He's got to build a team, but he finds one uh, that is going to be able to take his job. And so he equally... So succession plan is already very much in this guy's mind. Very much so. Very much so. And, um, and, and that is a critical piece for leaders. Just because of the dynamics of millennials today, uh, the intransigence and, and the sure. degree to which uh, their time and attention uh, changes dramatically... Um, and uh, they're not willing to sell their soul to the organization. So um, uh, being able to uh, identify top talent, um, working with Corn Ferry, the premier uh, executive search firm, uh, as well as with other human capital uh, companies, uh, uh, talk about the fact that um, in any significantly sized organization, there are probably five future CEOs. Hmm. And the question to the board and to the executive team is, do you know who those are? Hmm. Have you identified them? How are you nurturing them? Um, how are you giving them a series of crisscross challenges from field to headquarters, back to field, back to headquarters, from culture to culture? How are you giving them new challenges that are essentially preparing them for that ne- not only that next level of leadership, but given the potential trajectory of that leadership? seems to me that uh, a mentorship program, and here we go taking something that's relational and turning it into a process, would probably speak into that to some degree. The better you, you know your team, or at least the people below you or working alongside you, the better I would think equipped you are to say, this person's got the skills we need or the qualities we need or they could be mentored or they can be what, what was a uh, uh, groomed used to be yeah. the expression i don't i don't know if that's the expression well the hr anymore. term today is is called engagement uh-huh. okay so employee engagement is a uh, real and measurable uh, uh dimension and so uh employee satisfaction scores are but the tip of the iceberg as to how engaged your team is. So talent management as a whole uh, builds on a base of HR best practices for employee engagement that is also about uh, development in general. It's about culture, um, but it's about uh, finding high potentials and uh, giving them the series of tasks and opportunities and relationships to uh, advance more quickly and or uh, to the degree that their own personal motivations keep them engaged and and uh, accelerating in their overall performance. So are, are good leaders born or are they made over time? And it's a- well, there are certainly personality traits that give, uh, that give one... Uh, the qualities by which people respond to what they say and follow what they do. So, yes, there are personality um, dimensions that are inherent. And yet the thought process and change leadership issues um, are are clearly learned and cultivated over time, and the good ones um, 
bring increasing levels of of capability mostly born through experience and that's and isn't there something there too about a good leader getting the right people in place so so the skill or the strength that the leader doesn't have they say you know what this is out of my frame of reference we need this person in place we need a better manager here we need we need somebody to help me to come alongside me and prop me up yeah and 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 that's where recruitment is uh, the skill of recruitment is important because you're often uh, making decisions based on personality and you're often uh, the things that you do well by way of motivation and personality style you tend to value in others so you get people who are a lot like you as opposed to being more conscious about what are the team gaps uh, and the leadership traits that are necessary for that. I want to I want to ask you about some distinctions between profit for profit and non for profit in a couple of minutes. But do you think that I mean I, I certainly know a lot of non profit leaders who make decisions based on personality, and I, I took the more pejorative sort of angle to that and said maybe maybe that's not not what you meant, but oh, I don't really like this guy, so therefore he's not going to be on the team. Or this woman really grates on my nerves, so therefore she's going to go to marketing and communications because I will have nothing to do with her. But the truth might be that that's exactly who this person might need on the team. Does that come up very often? Yeah, both sides of it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, it's both sides. It's I choose people who I like and I don't choose people who I don't like as opposed to a, um, a better sense of what... What are the functional and strategic capabilities necessary to move forward? And therefore, who can we, who would be best to, to fill out the team? So when you say both sides, you mean both nonprofit and for-profit? Yes. Yeah. It's a human nature issue. Yeah. 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 So, so, um, Tell me about the distinction, uh, your take on the distinction between a good leader and a manager, or are they both? And, and that whole sort of visionary versus the to-do lister. Yeah. The person who loves to tick the stuff off. No, you, you need to be out meeting clients. You need to be out shaking hands with other presidents. You need to be meeting other nonprofit leaders. That's your role. Capture, you know, get everyone, you know, become an evangelist for your organization and then let everyone else get the stuff done, the, the nitty-gritty, the, the details. And yet, it seems to me, uh, again, a lot of nonprofit leaders spend most of their time spinning their wheels, ticking things off their to-do list. Yeah, the leader versus manager is a uh, an age-old um, contrast. Right. Um, and, and so I have pretty well, in, in working with, sales and marketing leaders, uh, you know, broken it down to those three dimensions of thought, process, and change. And, and just simply said, in order to lead others, you've got to do all three. And you're going to have a natural, uh, you may be a more relational kind of person that's going to be great in supporting people in a changing environment. But if you can't give them guidance and direction, and if there's no vision, there's no place to go. Uh, you can have great ideas, but if you can't put any disciplines and practices uh, in, into an operational framework, 
then right. you're, you're, you're not going to get very far along that way. And, and similarly, uh, you know, uh, today's normal may uh, prove true for six months or 12 months or 18 months, but something big changes. And, and now you've got to bring a dimension of change leadership that's very different. So, so leaders, um, uh, good leaders who uh, enable change in their organizations and in their marketplaces um, are able to, to bring about all three. I remember working uh, with a friend of mine, actually. Uh, a friend of mine who who uh, has a company started with his brothers, actually uh, coming out of high school, and they've turned it into a uh, forty million dollar company. Texas, it's out of Montreal, and he said to me, you know, with, he does some nonprofit work, sits on a few boards, and and, and Peter Burton's his name, and he said, you know, David, you got to hire great people for So Change for my company, my consulting firm. And, yeah, you know what, Peter? That's you know, I love it. I'm I'm with you. A little tougher in my world than I think in your world, only because you probably have a bit more capacity, mm-hmm. <laughs> a few more funds to play with. Your budget's sure. a little bigger. So, I wonder if you could talk about that distinction, the great good distinction, a little bit, and how essential is that? Would you say for startups, for nonprofits, for anyone who's trying to make a difference in this world, whether it be a, a corporation or a, you know an environmental uh, engineers without borders? Well, most innovation and most entrepreneurs have a passion for something and in most cases are pretty good at communicating it. And so um, the, the challenges in, in, in the building up of uh, the, the processes to, to make it work. And so one of the groups as I began my professional career uh, in earnest, you know, 20, 25 years ago, um, worked primarily with small business people. And, and one of the things he said was, um, don't do anything that you're not excellent at and hmm. get somebody else. Pay people okay. to do what you can't do well. Because if you do what you do well, you will generate revenue. And then you pay the people to, to do well what you don't do. And I, I can't... Um... I think you need to tell my wife this, Scott. Um, <laughs> we're doing some home renovations right now. There's a few things I don't do well. <laughs> right. Right. Well, uh, it, it, um, it, uh, it really helped me make some good decisions in the early stages of building my consulting practice because I've both been an independent as well as now having worked in association with DSG for uh, some 20 years. And, and that was, um, I just recognized early on, I needed to, the, the whole financial aspect, I needed to pay money for an administrator and a bookkeeper because any time I spent on it, I wouldn't do it well. It would completely drain me. Uh, I'd hate every second of it. And, and it would keep me from doing what I really enjoy do you know, doing and do well. I mean, I, mean, when I, I don't know. I'm, uh, you know, been struggling with a small business for five, six years. And I sometimes wonder from the other friends and people I know that are doing the same thing, if it's those kinds of tasks, those kinds of responsibility that actually 
break you down. And finally you say, what is it, 400,000 businesses fail every year in Canada? Sure. That's why I'm done. I'm out. I just, I can't do it. I don't know how to do the, I, I don't know how to post my blog. So, but I can't afford to pay somebody to do it for me. Right. right? Yeah. And, and that's always a, a, a startup dilemma and an early stage formation dilemma. Um, I. How do you keep all those balls in the air and, and, and still sleep at night? Yeah. You, um, you can't. <laughs> you can't effectively. I mean, early on, uh, I recognized that in the consulting business, that there's a waxing and waning. You you bag a, a, a big client, and that's great. Now you deliver, you know, day and night for an extended period of time, and then the project ends, and you don't have anything in your pipeline of new opportunities. And so now you go into a business development cycle, and and now you're in, in, in struggle. And so, you know, that was part of the decision I made was... Uh, in joining DSG was to recognize um, there's a there's an administrative bookkeeping function I'm gonna I'm willing to pay for and I can find somebody who can do that effectively uh, the uh, the leverage that comes from a business development function is why I joined a, a group of people to work with for that uh, specific purpose was to leverage my individual capacity so that I wasn't having to be the sole generator of new business. I could draw on leads and opportunities coming my way and get into more balanced cycle of sell, deliver, sell, deliver, sell, deliver. So hire the professionals, basically, is what you're saying, when you, and, when and, you and, need them. And, and, and you know, d d decide where, where there might be joint venture opportunities relative to things that other people are already doing in ways that you fit with what they do and or uh, the the leverage of specific other individuals who are sure. equally committed to an entrepreneurial phase of, of uh, you know, one to three years of getting something up off the ground. Why did you leave working with nonprofits or was that just a one-off? Um, It was just really uh, a matter of uh, my motivation was to help high performers to improve themselves even more. And so the, uh, the, the characteristics of helping nonprofits is, is one in which the measures of success and failure are not that great don't matter, are fuzzier, and uh, though there's personal costs, and I know that from having spent the first 10 years of my career in a, a nonprofit orientation, was that, uh, you know, there's just not as much at stake. And so my personal motivation is playing in high-stakes games. So I have clients tell me all the time, if this doesn't work, uh, uh, this is going to be a catastrophic failure for us and our million dollar, hundred million dollar, multiple billion dollar company. And yet, in some ways, uh, you know, from a nonprofit perspective, you would think you would hear the president say, "Oh, gee, there's there's nothing more important than dealing with food security issues in Hamilton or clean water issues in Zimbabwe." Right? So a lot at stake for others. And yet, I mean, you're, what was the phrase you used? You're just fuzzier. Yeah, the measures of success are fuzzier. So I mean, I think things are changing. 
I think, but still it seems to me the, the nonprofit sector has a long way to go applying. You know, we were involved in a, a situation recently uh, working with an organization and the moment we mentioned a baseline, you know, eyes glossed over and geez, well that's going to take a lot of time and effort and work and, and yet that's kind of what you need to start sure. out of the gate to say here's how we, you know, to say to your donors down the road that we actually succeeded. So are you hopeful? For the nonprofit sector, would you say, after the work that you did and what you've done now, and in, in, in sort of contrast to it, am I hopeful? I, I think there are just inherent challenges that don't change. Hmm. Uh, I see, you know, people who have gotten tired of the business environment. And um, I just had a little station identification break there. <laughs> All right. So I love that phrase, in inherent challenges that don't change. Yeah. And so whether it's governments or, or uh, NGOs or a variety of other nonprofits, uh, uh, what, what I do see is that people who are, have been in the business world and are coming back to a, a more fulfilling, passionate, personal environment are bringing a level of skills and focus mm -hmm. and capabilities. Um, and uh, when you look at even, even the, 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 uh, the, the many individuals who have made their many multiple hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, you know, they're, they're committing you know, the huge bulk of their revenue to, to driving change socially and economically uh, across the globe. So, so there, is, there is funding that is increasing. There are uh, funding accountabilities as people are looking for real return on investment in the nonprofit sector and not just charity. And, and to the degree that, that th those are trends that are for the good. So, believe it or not, we're kind of, kind of coming to the end of the, the interview today, and it sounds like we got a part two in the future, but you, you talked about, I think, uh, millennials for a moment. You talked about, uh, a few minutes ago, about how, you know, they're not going to buy in, they're not going to drink the Kool-Aid of the corporation. They're looking for something else, it seems, and there's certainly some thinking and writing, and I teach at Humber College, so I'm dealing with, I guess, a few millennials and get very frustrated with them on one hand, but yet I'm quite hopeful and encouraged on another. And I just wonder, yeah. where, where do you sit on that? I mean, is that a problem that you've got uh, somebody who's working with you that's probably looking for a new job in two to five years? And, or does it just provide new challenges for, 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 for companies and for nonprofits? It, it, it certainly provides problems because it's traditional thinking applied to new realities. And that usually means that there's a uh, 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 fallout. Right. Uh, so as I work with firms that deal specifically with talent, um, that's one of the, the key issues that they're bringing is that uh, millennials and, and even the younger generation uh, are, are simply not wanting to bring their skills into a full-time employment environment. And so whether it's an SOW or an independent contractor or whether it's uh, some kind of multiple structured role of consultant, even retirees, 
in many ways, uh, c companies are realizing the value in retirees in bringing them back because of their mm. skills and capabilities. Mm. So b because of the nature of talent and the war for the right kind of talent that companies are trying to have uh, uh, to, to, in essence, fund their strategies. So it, it, it's just the it, it's the it's the new world of sourcing and and of course the business world has uh, gone from uh, staff staffing and, and outsourcing as a whole to now a much more blended version of there's things we can outsource to India to to Mexico uh, to uh, to China there's uh, things that we can. Uh, get staff augmentation around people who have skills, whether they be retirees or uh, others who simply want to come in for projects. So I, I just think it's the, the, the world of work and, and for people who are managing human resources, uh, that, that's, the, that's the new job description is uh, fuel our strategy with the talent we need and recognize that it's going to come, it's not going to look the same. Not going to look the same different places. Retirees is really interesting. Do you think there's something about tacit knowledge there? You know, these folks have 40 years in the field. They understand it in a way that somebody doesn't who's only been there to get that journeyman kind of edge. Yeah, I, and, 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 and there's very little that's noble about it. Uh, it it's, uh, you know, in some cases they can retire them. Uh, get them off the payroll and then pay them on an hourly basis. So, so there's both a, you know, it's it, it innovation is often born out of necessity, right. and so cost containment becomes one of the realities of how how do we how do we fund our strategy with the right skills. So one last question. I mean, I got lots more, but uh, we'll have to save it for another time. But. Um, you're familiar with the triple bottom line, people, planet, prosperity. <clears throat> one of the one of the mandates of the Liberal Party now, it's got that whole sort of uh, the UN's global compact is speaking about it. You know, 10 years ago, there were, I believe, about 40 organizations that were a part of this, this uh, uh, the UN global compact. There's over 2,000 today. You know, so it seems like things are changing. You know, I talk all the time about my son, Spencer, who gets upset with me for not recycling something. And so there's a shift and, and people seem to be heading in a new direction. So we're just, you know, talking about millennials, innovation born out of necessity. Um, is the triple bottom line becoming something that is, that, that, that people are buying into more, that people like you and I at our age and our demographic buying into and saying, you know, that is more, that th things aren't changes more becoming, uh, is coming out of noble causes to use, you know, your mm -hmm. phrase. Well, uh, it, it certainly is an ethos, uh, but it, you know, Canada or North America is a pocket. Uh, it's a microcosm of Fair a much bigger world, <laughs> and and so um, you know, there's there's places where, as you well know, uh, just basic prosperity in terms of clean water or uh, mm -hmm. you know, antibacterial drugs with mosquito nets would be an awesome form of prosperity. Uh, Huge so, change would, and movement forward would happen as a result of some of those very simple things. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, when I, I, there, there was a period of my life where prosperity in and of itself was seen as somehow a 
necessary evil. Um, but, uh, you know, at the heart of what gets me up every day is the fact that I'm helping people to be successful in their jobs. Hmm. I'm helping them to pay off their mortgage and send their kids to school and pay the bills. And, um, you know, in my work with, uh, with teenagers and, and sports, you know, uh, my time and investment coaching not only my kid, but some other kids whose parents never came to the games, hmm. you know, and uh, a, a... You're you're a capacity builder, Scott, uh, there's no question. Uh, uh, one of the young boys that I've coached for four or five years now has gotten a scholarship to go to a prep school in the U.S., hmm. which he would have never have gotten. Yeah. Now, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't suggest that that's my, uh, as a result of me, but I... I got to help enable yeah. that. Yeah. So in, in that sense, I, I, I see the goodness in prosperity building uh, personally and organizationally in, in all that I do. And uh, um, that, that makes a big difference for me. Yeah, little, little things, incremental change. Um, thanks again for showing me and hopefully my listeners that there's way more going on out there than meets the eye. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Scott Pressey from DSG Consulting. Check them out online and uh, we'll see you next week.